Welcome, everyone, to this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Podcast, presented by Priority Automotive Group. I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director of the Hall of Fame, and it is my pleasure to bring Hall Call to you wherever you may be listening. On today's episode of Hall Call, we continue our look into the class of 2020. April 24th and 25th in Virginia Beach, we will celebrate the 49th induction class in our history. And today's guest seems to have been destined for this moment since his early days playing baseball in Chesapeake. David Wright grew up in Chesapeake and was a star for Hickory High School. Drafted by the Mets directly out of high school, Wright would go on to play 14 seasons for the club and rewrite the franchise's record books. A seven-time All-Star is the Mets franchise leader in hits, doubles, runs scored, RBIs, and extra base hits. The two-time Gold Glove and Silver Slugger Award winner will now be able to add Virginia Sports Hall of Famer to his resume. David, thank you for joining us today on the Hall Call Podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So how is retirement treating you so far? <laughs> it's funny you ask. I'm actually uh, down, in, down in Florida right now, uh, you know, doing some stuff with the, uh, the Mets front office. So it's good to be back down here in Port St. Lucie and hanging out with some of the guys and, um, you know, talking a little baseball because I think that's the thing that, uh, you know, I miss the most is, is obviously physically I couldn't do it anymore, but the camaraderie, the preparation, the excitement of a new season started. I think those are the things that really used to get my blood flowing and still, I guess, to some degree now working in the front office for the Mets, you know, still gets me excited is opening day and spring training and getting ready for another season. You know, it's funny as we, I talked to Michael Kadire about that about two years ago. And he said the biggest challenge in retirement was from the time you played T-ball all the way through professionals, you always had somebody to talk baseball with. Now you're at home with your family, you know, so you're not necessarily talking baseball all day, every day. So hearing you say that, uh, it kind of, it kind of echoes exactly what he said. Um, you well, know, now I'm still talking baseball, but it's two and a half year old. <laughs> that's T-ball. right. It's a bit, it's a bit of different, uh, strategy when, um, you know, you're going from, you know, preparation for big leagues to, uh, trying to herd cats in three and a half year old co-ed t-ball you know it's a bit of a bit of a different philosophy i'd say <laughs> you know you might be the first cat herder we have in the hall of fame i'll have to go back and check our <laughs> records <laughs> but you know the state has a pretty solid baseball reputation uh, the state of virginia but the last 25 years uh, i mean we've just seen this boom in producing major league talent and you grew up playing with and against guys like Ryan Zimmerman, the Upton brothers, Mark Reynolds, and even though he was a little bit older, Michael Kadire, like I just mentioned, what memories do high school and AAU ball conjure up for you? I mean, you said it. It's what a hotbed and relatively speaking, such a small area compared to, you know, whether it be Florida or Texas or California or some of these other states that, you know, produce, you know, all-star caliber major league talent. And you think of, you know, the 757, or you think of Hampton Roads, the Tidewater area, and to be able to put the names that you mentioned up there with, you know, some of those, and forget about the U.S., but Puerto Rico, Dominican, Venezuela, you know, Japan. I mean, it's um, an incredible amount of talent that's coming out of that area, and I think it has to do with the amateur baseball. I was lucky enough, uh, you know, growing up to have a Townie Townsend, to have a Al Irby to have a Ron Smith um, coaching me when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old, learning things that some of my minor league teammates were learning for the first time in professional baseball. We were doing bunt defenses and rundowns, and they wouldn't let us pick up a bat when we were kids until we got the defensive side down pat. 
And that's the kind of stuff that we're trying to teach here to our minor leaguers um, on a professional level, that that was the type of instruction that I was getting, you know, when I was a kid. And, and when you look back on it, everybody wants to hit, 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 hit. But there's so many other aspects of the game that are important that I was learning. And I think, allowing me to become a better player at such a, a younger age. Townie Townsend is a name that he's, he's now since passed, but that's a name that particularly here in Southeastern Virginia, baseball circles know exactly who he is. And there is a, there's a great article from a few years ago in Sports Illustrated kind of talking about how he built that, that AAU program and really made AAU relevant here in, in Virginia. But one of the things that I loved reading about was he had a drill where instead of tossing baseballs, he would toss coffee lids or cool whip lids at you guys. What was his influence on you? And what were you thinking as he's tossing these cool whip lids at you to hit? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really cool because that's obviously the first time, you know, that I've ever done something like that. And it was, you know, I remember bringing, you know, Folgers coffee lids and cool whip lids uh, to coach Townsend. And he was a master at flipping these things, you know, like Frisbee style, but he could do you know, kind of curveballs and, um, you know, like change up type pitches with these lids. And the whole concept was if you can square up a cool whip lid, that's whatever, a fraction of an inch wide that just think of how easy it's going to be to hit a baseball. And it became these competitions as a kid to see how many you could hit in a row. And he'd try to get you out and he'd try to do all these crazy spins with it. And, you know, it became fun, but at the same time, you know, it was hard to hit and you're, you're, you're doing something that's harder than hitting a baseball so that when the baseball comes, it looked like a, you know, a beach ball coming in and um, just a cool concept, a cool philosophy and something that I did actually, you know, when I came home in the minor leagues, you know, to warm up for hitting in the off season, I'd, I'd still do the, the, the lid drill. And, and that's something that you know, it always brings a smile to my face because it brings me back to those amateur days and the times where, you know, going up against friends and buddies for, you know, competing for a piece of gum to see who could hit more of these in a row. It's amazing to hear that that's the drill that you would go back to, uh, you know, with, with yourself and all these guys that came up through those programs, as you start to progress through the minors and the majors, did other major leaguers, did other ball players begin to inquire about what was going on down in Southeastern Virginia and why there are so many, you know, MLB level talents coming from the area? Uh, you know, I will say this, that, you know, that's a question that, yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, what's in the water down there? What's, <laughs> what's going on? Because um, a lot of people, you know, you, we obviously have had some tremendous athletes come from that area. But, you know, you ask the typical major leaguer, you know, pinpoint the Hampton Roads area on a on a map and they've had a hard time doing it. But, you know, I think with the not only the amount of talent and not just in baseball, but, you know, football, basketball, but also um, the quality of people. And, you know, I don't know personally, a lot of the other athletes from the area, I know all the baseball players, but, and so I can speak on behalf of the baseball players that they're great citizens. They're great people. They're great teammates. And I think that's something that's often overlooked is that, yes, we had all-star players. We had, you know, guys that were some of the best at, at their positions in baseball, but we look at what they do for the community back both back home in Virginia or wherever they're playing or wherever they're now living. And they were great citizens. They were great role models. They were great ambassadors for the game. And I think that's, we took a lot of pride in that as well in representing the game and representing the Tidewater area. We, we took a lot of pride in that beating our chest a little bit saying we're from this small pocket of the country, but we can compete with anybody. 
Now, you were drafted at a high school, at a Hickory High School uh, in Chesapeake, directly by the Mets. Uh, but you had actually committed to play baseball at Georgia Tech. And at that time, that was a program that was producing Nomar garcia Parr, Jason Veritek, uh, uh, Mark Teixeira. Was it a difficult decision to, to forego going to college to start pursuing your MLB career right out of high school? Of course. I mean, especially, you know, my parents, my father is a retired Norfolk police officer. My mother worked um, in the school system, both in Virginia Beach and Chesapeake. So education was our number one priority. I couldn't play baseball unless I made the grades. And that was a rule that was well known from my brothers and I, that, you know, grades came first, school came first, baseball, sports, whatever came a distant second. So, um, you know, it certainly was, but you know, when you have an opportunity as a supplemental first round pick to, to begin your career with a team that for me, I grew up going to tides games, you know, rooting for the Mets because of the tides. Um, you know, it's a tough decision to forego that college education, but you know, for me, uh, it was the best decision that I could make because I got a chance to learn from some of the games. Great. Um, you know, the, Gary Carter's, the Howard Johnson's, the Daryl Strawberries, the, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on of the coaches that I had in our minor league that not only were great players, but great winners, um, you know, with the Mets and, you know, getting a chance, the Tim Tuffles, I mean, he was my infield coach, um, you know, getting a chance to learn from those guys. Yes. Uh, education was important, but, you know, to forego the opportunity that I had, um, you know, it works well for both like Brian Zimmerman went to University of Virginia and absolutely blossomed into, you know, an all-star player. Some people take different paths, but for me, you know, looking back on it, it was, it was the right path. But, you know, certainly education, you know, was important. And at the time, you know, it, it, it would have taken a, you know, a first or a second round pick probably to pry me away from Georgia Tech. When I went down on my visit, Mark Teixeira was my host, showed <laughs> me around campus. And I would have been, he would have been drafted that year. So I would have taken over third base for him. So, um you know, that's one of the reasons why I picked Georgia Tech, because of the mix of academics and athletics. So, yes, education was very important in my family uh, growing up. You, you mentioned it, that at that time, the, the Mets AAA affiliate was here in Norfolk, the Norfolk Tides. They've since, they've since transitioned to the Orioles. But what was that experience like getting to play in your hometown, basically, even though it was for a short period before you got called up to the Mets? You did get that opportunity that not many other people get. Oh, that was, that was almost like a call up to the big leagues for me when I was in double a Binghamton, New York, you know, and I got the call that I was going to Norfolk. It was, you know, I won't say it was on par with getting the call to the big leagues, but it was <laughs> fairly close, you know, getting a chance to kind of make full circle and to come play in front of my friends and family, um, at home in Norfolk where I grew up. I went to the first game in Harbor park, uh, the inaugural season, the, the inaugural game. Um, you know, that was some of the, best times my dad, you know, obviously was a, uh, as I mentioned before, a Norfolk police officer. So, you know, there was, they used to hire a lot of Norfolk police officers to do kind of security and things. And he knew a lot of them. So, you know, getting a foul ball and getting a chance to meet a player, take a picture with a player, you know, were, were thrills for my brothers and I growing up and, and to be able to be on the other side of that fence now and to play and to be able to sign autographs for, uh, the people. I mean, it was just a, for me, a dream come true and something that I was, very, very honored to have the opportunity to, to play at Harbor Park for the Norfolk Tides after being, you know, on the other side of that fence for so many years. Uh, moving up to the big leagues now, you know, you played with some pretty good players in New York. Uh, was there anyone during your career that you would take time to learn from? I mean, obviously you're a very talented individual ball player, but was there anybody that you looked at and said, that's who I kind of want to be like? 
I mean, as a teammate, there was a lot. I, I when I got called up, um, we were a very veteran team. So we had Mike Piazza, you know, John Franco, um, Al Leiter, um, Mike Cameron, Cliff Floyd, you know, a lot of super veterans, Joe McEwing, that I learned from on a daily basis, not only how to be a player, but how to act, how to dress, how to treat other people uh, in a positive way. And, and I was very thankful for that because, you know, being the younger player, I was all ears trying to soak in as much as I could about, again, not only learning from some of the best players in the game, some future Hall of Famers, some perennial all-stars, but also, you know, how to carry yourself, how to treat the media, how to delegate your time, especially in New York, um, while still trying to prepare for a game. Um, as far as players-wise, I was always a huge um, Scott Rowland fan. Um, and I got a chance to meet him um, when I was in the minor leagues and pick his brain a little bit. And that's the type of player that I always wanted to be. You know, uh, he does everything well. Hits for average, hits for power, uh, runs the base as well, uh, plays ridiculous defense. Um, you know, and that's the kind of player that I aspired to be. So getting a chance to pick his brain and be around him for a little bit in the minor leagues really – you know, kind of lit that fire that that's the type of of player that I wanted to be when I got to the big leagues. You spent your whole career with the Mets. Uh, and from the outside looking in, it actually seemed like staying in one place for your career really meant a lot to you. In fact, I don't think you ever reached free agency. How much no. did that factor into your decision to stay with the Mets? And how much did that actually mean to you by staying with one team your whole career? I mean, it meant the world to me. Um, again, I grew up a Mets fan uh, because of the Norfolk Tides. Um, or the Tidewater Tides when I first started going to the games, um, you know, getting a chance to see those players or maybe get an autograph or a picture taken and sitting on the TV a few days later when they got caught up and seeing them on TV playing for the New York Mets, you know, gave me a thrill. Um, you know, so me, it was a no-brainer. As long as they wanted me, I wanted to be here. And, you know, it was very important. Playing against Chipper Jones for all those years, you know, was a great example. Kyle Ripken Jr., my dad used to take us to Camden, um, you know, try to go once a summer. So to be able to... Um, see the way that they loved the cities that they played for and the way that their cities loved them was always something that I aspired to do. Not saying that I'm nearly in the category of Kyle Ripken or Chipper Jones, but I wanted that feeling of being homegrown. They drafted me, they got me to the big leagues, they, you know, groomed me and, you know, I wanted to stay. And, you know, I made it very clear to them, hence, you know, never going to free agency. We always seem to work it out. Um, you know, in advance to where, you know, they knew how badly I wanted to be here. They knew how badly I wanted to win here, you know, and they reciprocated that. And I'm very thankful because, um, you know, I don't think my career would have been as special to me, you know, had I bounced around to a couple teams, not that that's a bad thing, just uh, I'm a very loyal person, I think by nature and the Mets have been obviously very loyal to me as well. So it's been a, a great relationship. Yeah, that's great to see, particularly in this era of player movement, not just in baseball, but across all sports. It's just a completely different time. So seeing that lifetime, seeing that guy who stays with the same team his whole career is, is rare. And I know that sports fans really love that. Now, you know, injuries definitely cut your career short, but you're the Mets all-time leader in numerous categories, runs, extra base hits, doubles, RBI. When you and the club came to the realization, strike out. Strike, okay, I was only going to list the good ones. <laughs> when you and the club came to the realization that these injuries probably had ended your career, they activated you and gave you a two-game send-off. What were the emotions of that weekend, and were you actually able to focus on baseball? Well, I'm not a crier. <laughs> I think you know my wife probably to a fault says I'm not emotional enough, and I just I mean it's something that I had been a Met 
I have been a Met for more than half my life. And, you know, to, 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 as a player, you always say, or you believe that you want to go out on your own terms. You know, you want things to end the way you want them to. And obviously I didn't get that opportunity, but for those one or two days, I got the opportunity to put on a uniform one more time in front of my, my, I got a, now a three-year-old and a one-year-old that had never seen, never seen me play in person. Um, they got a chance to see me play. I got a chance to play in front of them. I got a chance to thank the fans, uh, for all the support that they've given me throughout my career. Um, the fans were unbelievably special to me. They came out early. They met me in the parking lot when I got there. Um, I mean, just emotional is not even the word for it. It was ridiculous how well the fans have treated me. The organization has treated me throughout my career. So to be able to suit up one more time, knowing that it was going to be my last time, um, you know, was extremely emotional, extremely special. And for those one or two days to be able to kind of write my finale, uh, you know, meant the world to me and get a chance one more time to again, you know, thank the fans play in front of my family was, uh, incredibly special and I'll forever be thankful for the organization for making that happen. You spent your entire career in New York. We've established that, but you continued to make an impact here in Virginia, particularly through the children's hospital, of the King's daughters raising over $1.5 million over a 10 year, over a 10 year period through an annual fundraiser. I'm sure you were being pulled in so many different directions from all sorts of areas in New York and maybe even beyond, but why was it important to you to make sure you remained a part of the Hampton roads community? Oh, I mean that the community had, has had my back from day one and, and they've groomed me, you know, a lot of ways into the player and, you know, hopefully the halfway decent person that I think I am. Um, you know, so, and when I thought of, you know, obviously it's a big military town and something that you know, I'm incredibly proud of, from, you know, a military town, um, you know, and then you think of, of the Amtor's area, you immediately think of military for me and you think of CHKD as far as two, causes that um, I think everybody can rally around and support, you know, in that area, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody, just a random person off the street that has lived in the area that maybe hasn't directly been affected by CHKD, but knows somebody that has in a positive way um, been affected by, by CHKD. So the, for me, a bit of a no brainer to, to go back and to help support them, to raise awareness, to hopefully raise some money, um, you know, I was going to CHKD before I had the means or I guess the the notoriety to put on these big elaborate events. I enjoyed going and hanging out with kids, playing Connect Four, playing video games, you know, hanging out for an afternoon, eating some lunch. Um, and then when I got the opportunity to, to maybe bring some awareness, raise some funds for the hospital, I, I jumped at it. And, you know, it's been a great relationship. And, um, you know, the CHKD will always hold a, a near and dear place in my heart. We'll get you out of here on this. You and Mike Cubbage going in together will be the 33rd and 34th baseball inductees into the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. When you think of Virginia baseball, what comes to mind? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> ridiculous talent, uh, ridiculously good people. Um, and I think each generation um, sets the bar so high that it it pushes the next generation to strive even greater and try to up their game to try to 
be better than the generation before them, both in talent and what they do in the community and what kind of teammates and people they are. I'm very proud to be from the area, and I think everybody that has gone on to have careers, uh, the guys that I know are also extremely proud to, to say that they're from that area. Well said, and I think there's a lot of people down here who agree with you. So, David, it's been a pleasure catching up with you today. Uh, We look forward to seeing you, your friends, and your family here in Virginia Beach during induction weekend in April, and we'll be following the Mets from afar. Can't wait. Thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks a lot, David. We'll speak to you soon. Well, that is going to do it for this edition of the Hall Call Podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, David Wright, for joining us today. You can help us celebrate David and the rest of the class of 2020 as part of Induction Weekend, April 24th and 25th in Virginia Beach. For event and ticket information, please visit our website, www.vasportshof.com. Induction Weekend and all Hall of Fame events are presented by Priority Automotive Group. As always, if you like what you heard, please like, follow, and subscribe to the Hall Call podcast on SoundCloud and Spotify. You can also find the most up-to-date and archived episodes of Hall Call on our website as well. Don't forget to follow us on social media for the latest episodes. Our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram handles are all at VA Sports HOF. I'd like to thank ESPN Radio 94.1 WVSPFM and our executive producer Thomas Simmons for their support. Once again, I am Will Driscoll, and thank you for listening to this edition of the Hall Call Podcast.